Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to the Beatles Films Podcast. I'm Matt Looker. I'm Ed Williamson. We're both professional film writers and Fab Four fans, and each week we discuss a different movie about starring or inspired by the Beatles. And after discussing 1967's How I Won the War last week, now seems like the perfect time to talk about 2013's Living is Easy with Eyes Closed, or in the original Spanish title, Vivir es fácil con los ojos cerrados. It's a Spanish language film about a teacher and Beatles fanatic Antonio who uses the group's lyrics to teach English to his pupils. The film follows as he and two younger hitchhikers take a road trip to Almeria to visit the set of, you guessed it, How I Won the War in the hopes that he will meet his hero, John Lennon. The film was Spain's official contender for that year's Oscars, and despite being overlooked for selection, swept the Goya Awards in 2014, which are the Spanish equivalent of the Oscars. But what did we think of the film? Did it pass our strict criteria for cinematic quality, or will we have to defer to the Spanish equivalent of us? Let's find out. Uh, So, to kick things off, the film starts with a newsreel that sets the scene around what... The Beatles are up to uh, at that point in their career and obviously specifically where John Lennon is at. So how does that relate to the to setting the tone for the film and and, and what the film covers? Well, um, so this is a point in the Beatles career where they've just stopped touring. They've just played their last gig to a paying audience in San Francisco. So I'm not sure they necessarily know at this point that they're definitely never going to tour again. But certainly they are at the very least taking an extended break. They all kind of choose to fill their time in slightly different ways. John accepts an offer to go off and shoot this film, How I Won the War, directed by 
Richard Lester, uh, director of Hard Day's Night and Help. There's obviously a lot more discussion about how I won the war in, in that episode, but the main significance of John's time in Spain, as far as Beatles fans are concerned, is that that is where he wrote Strawberry Fields Forever. And so that is, uh, that's kind of the theme that's running through the film. You know, there are visual references to it with strawberries uh, throughout, which, you know, I'm sure we'll get to later. But Antonio, the main character, who's the English teacher, He's a Beatles fanatic and he's using Beatles lyrics to teach English to his pupils. And he decides he wants to go off and meet John Lennon because he has lyrics that he can't quite decipher. And uh, at this point, the Beatles lyrics are are not printed on the the record sleeves. Um, So he decides he wants to go off and like ask John uh, to uh, help him complete some of the lyrics in his his notebook. So I I would like to ask you a quick question on this almost as a side note because i think we will go on to talk about why the film i think we both agree that the film is is pretty great and it's a it's a really nice sort of understated character piece uh, i think and we can dig into that a little bit more but just before we get into that teaching english to kids via beatles lyrics yep how robust as an educational tool is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously you've not read the national curriculum as, uh, <laughs> as, as, as stringently as I have, but I've actually got um, a bit of useful context on this as well. Um, I asked my Spanish friend Juan um, about this film. I told him I'd seen it. I told him we were going to be discussing it. And I asked him for a bit of context about Spain in the 1960s uh, under Franco. And um, he sent me a voice note. So what you're about to hear is a, a WhatsApp voice note recording, I think, while he was standing in the street. So it doesn't sound fantastic, but I think the context he gives, particularly about uh, the use of the Beatles to teach English in schools, is actually really insightful. Basically, the 60s, uh, Spain is starting to open to the world. Basically, we were already like 30 years, something like that, uh, with Franco in the power, because I mean, the civil war finished in the 39. So it was like 20 something years during the 60s. And basically I remember that, for example, my mother, I told you that they used to learn French in school, okay? But I think at that time, it was already coming like the English as the because of the United States, like the language that they were meant to learn. And for example, in school, they were playing uh, the Beatles to learn English. Because I remember my mother showed me the Beatles when I was a kid. She was the one that introduced me to the Beatles because she used to listen to it in class. Basically, Spain is opening to the world a little bit. This comes with the, also the wave of the hippie power. The people start rebel trends start happening, you know, and they will finish like in the uh, 70s with the end of the dictatorship. So still, it was quite close country, but they were opening a bit. I think um, there is probably something in that about how um, uh, the, the Beatles are kind of, in the same way that, that English is about a universal language, but certainly it's one of the more widely spoken languages in the world. You do find that most European countries you go to, they tend to speak fantastic English when they've never uh, never been to England and had no uh, no reason yeah. to. Um, the the Beatles being one of Britain's sort of biggest cultural exports uh, to the rest of the world, 
I think these things do end up uh, sort of bleeding themselves into other people's national, uh, other countries' national cultures. Um, and language is a big part of that. You know, you hear a lot about, um, you know, ki- kids, you know, a sort of Portuguese three-year-old will sort of know the words to Yellow Submarine, yeah. won't necessarily know what they mean, but will know the sound of them at the very least. It's, it's a really good point, actually. And it's, it's again, it's another example of how the Beatles' influence probably... Uh, reaches further than we give it credit for yeah. because that's the kind of detail that just becomes sort of naturally almost like by osmosis uh, becomes part of um, sort of the history around the world without us really calling out that that's how it's happened yeah um, I did think that when the when the film starts obviously the film begins with one of those English lessons and it's uh, Antonio teaching uh, his kids English through the use of the lyrics in help yeah and I think it's I think that's obviously a uh, a significant song uh, for the film, yeah. for, for the, the script to start with. I will admit that as soon as that started, I was thinking about what other songs has he taught his kids and are there any that would be inappropriate to do so? Like, right, right. Has at any point he made a Spanish kid stand up and have to repeat verbatim, I'd rather see you dead, little girl, you know, like, <laughs> at that time. Yeah, and obviously Michelle is problematic in itself, right, if you're going to try and teach English to kids. Well, yeah, like... absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Also, also I mean, he, he'll be, uh, he's a few years off having to teach uh, Sun King with its, uh, like, gibberish Spanish. Well, yeah. like, it's kind of Espanol, isn't it, or something yes. like that. But yes, that's even, right. It doesn't yes, even make course. sense. Oh, know? that's so funny, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking as well, I mean, can you imagine, so the, the film ends, like, you know, without getting too much into spoiler alert, the film ends with the notion that the Beatles then started to include lyrics on their albums in order to help with this kind of thing. And I can only imagine that Antonio's kids would pick up a copy of that album and be like, like, tangerine trees and marmalade skies? Thanks, <laughs> sir. <laughs> like, <laughs> how is this helpful? Yeah, yeah. By the time they get onto like Goo Goo Gajoop, like it's, <laughs> I'm not really sure how much he's helped there. But yeah, I just think it was a, I couldn't help but think as, as an actual tool of the national curriculum, maybe there are some flaws that would need to be overcome. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But help is a significant choice of song, obviously, to start yeah. uh, the film off with. Yeah. Um, I, I'll admit, now that I watched this film twice and I don't think it was until the second viewing that I was able to realise the significance of choosing that song to begin with. Yeah, I think it's plain that that would have significance, but the idea behind what thematically is happening in the film is it's a little bit buried beneath the surface of the narrative. Yeah, I mean, help is kind of, as I say, like Strawberry Fields is kind of a, a theme throughout, but help... It, it is just as strongly a, a theme throughout. So they're, they're singing this in the car later on, uh, towards the end of the film, Antonio talks about, you know, help and its its significance. Um, significant also in that, as he, as I think he says at some point in it, or at least alludes to, uh, help is probably, like lyrically, probably the first sign that John Lennon is not okay. Uh, Antonio it, does make the point, I think, in the, in the classroom scene that... That he's he's challenging his pupils to uh, as to why John Lennon might need help. You know, he's saying like, you know, he's really famous and he's uh, sings this to thousands. Uh, why would he be singing about help? I think one of the kids turns around and says, "Help with him spending all of his money." You know, right, um, yeah. as a sort of a you know fun thing. Um, but it's interesting. That I think the film sets out this idea already of of. Um, 
of of just looking a little bit de- deeper beneath the surface yeah. of of what's actually happening and you know in the same way that he is challenging his peoples to look beyond uh what they see in terms of John Lennon I guess the that's kind of true of the film in the sense that at no point does the film explicitly say these are the three characters that we're focused on are are in a particular situation with which they need help to get out of yeah but you you kind of understand that if you if you think a little bit harder about it from watching the film yeah 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 i think they're all yes they all need help not necessarily in obvious ways um some in quite minor ways you could argue uh like juan ho who's the the younger sort of teenage boy i'm gonna say he's probably about 15 or something like yeah. that is uh basically just having the same conversation with his strict father that lots of boys are having in the mid 60s which is when are you going to get your hair cut and having lots of people tell him like he's got long hair he looks like a girl you know and of course it's one of those haircuts that are like like it would be absolutely fine for someone to just work in an office today with that haircut, yes. like like you'd think like oh, that's your benchmark, like just right. working in an office. Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I really yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because uh, obviously, true superiors that makes sense. Yeah, but there is a part of me watching that film being like, his hair is fine. Uh, yeah, because I'm I'm approaching it from a bit of a modern sensibility. Right, well, of I'm course. like, why is everyone thinking he looks like a girl? He, obviously, he looks absolutely fine. If right, anything, of he looks quite cool. Yeah, anything that wasn't a short back and sides yeah. know, is the thing. Um, you know, but then there, there's a parallel there um, between because obviously, like how I won the war is uh, the film that John Lennon cut his hair for, and that was a big thing in the in the press at the time. Again, we talk about this more in the How I Won the War episode, but it was it was a big deal uh, that he had cut his hair. It was kind of like symbolic of like, oh, is this the the end of this movement or something like that? You know, and and, and cutting hair is it's not just with. Um, Hanko, it's it's all the way through, isn't it? It's, it feels like it's a recurring motif because yeah. you have, uh, you know, the reason he runs away from home to begin with is be- well, obviously because of his sort of uh, overbearing and, by all impressions, aggressive father. Yeah. But that comes to a head with him being told that he has to have his hair cut when he doesn't want to. Yeah. Um, then there is the bully in Amira that actually cuts his hair. Yeah. And and does that against his own will, which is like a real sort of you know tragic moment uh, in the film. Yeah. But also later on, when Hanko makes Belen, uh, the other hitchhiker, uh, helps her uh, take on the role within the movie production of How I Won the War. It's only a brief scene, but yeah. um, gets uh, you know gets her a, a place in cutting the extras hair yeah. to look more sort of period appropriate. Yeah. And it's just, it's funny because you're right, it's this sort of symbolic of change, which I think is, yeah. which is just really key to the film in lots and lots of different ways. It keeps coming up in, in different motifs, but this this yeah. idea of cutting hair and, and this sort of signifying a, a new step forward does, does sort of keep coming back yeah, uh, in the film. Yeah, almost like the shedding of, of a skin or something. Yes, like exactly, yeah. 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 So the, the idea that uh, that change is kind of in the air is sort of uh, significant here, I suppose. So this is, you know, to set it in context, this is in uh, Franco's Spain. Now, I'm not an expert on this by uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but this is a, a an authoritarian regime. Um, it is perhaps, uh, it, it has its roots in fascism, if, if perhaps not. It, 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 not sort of full-blown fascism. Fascism light, if you will. You know. 
<laughs> or in the same way that you'd have like a, a Coke light. Yeah, exactly. A Bud Light. Of course. Yeah, exactly. Okay, fine. okay good. It's yeah. the Bud Light of regimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so it's not like uh, people are sort of in concentration camps or anything, but what is happening is there's certainly a lot of restrictions on freedom of expression, uh, freedom of assembly, protest, things like that. This is a, a single party state uh, for sure. Um, and a sort of cult of personality uh, under Franco, where, whereby he is almost it, people are sort of encouraged to think of him almost as a god, uh, is my understanding. And so the characters are kind of referring a, a little bit throughout the film to to this, if not overtly. I mean, so you do see the fact that the, what seems like military police are sort of all over the place and seem to be, you know, feared. You know, when Antonio picks up uh, Belen. The first time uh, he gets her to sort of duck down in the mm-hmm. in the car so that the military police don't uh, don't see her. Uh, and there's a, um, a Catalan character as well, and sort of um, Catalan culture and practices were very much uh, r- restricted um, back then. So th- there are people there who are, they're 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 able to live their lives and go about their business, but with certain restrictions. Mm. Um, and so I think the the older generation there have sort of grown up in the Spanish Civil War and sort of ha- have their memories of that. And the younger people, as is always the case uh, in, in situations like this, the younger people are the ones who are sort of agitating for change or don't understand why why things have to be this way. And so, of course, as in so many of these things, and youth culture around that time, the Beatles fit into this so well uh, because they're the sort of perfect symbol of freedom of expression anywhere in the world where, you know, even sort of behind the Iron Curtain at this at this time, people were sort of smuggling in Beatles records. Mm. Uh, it was sort of, uh, you know, contraband. Uh, because, you know, they, they, they were seen as a, you know, w- without necessarily by that point being a sort of, you know, singing any protest songs themselves authoritarian regimes were well aware of the lack of control and potential for civil unrest when when the beatles come into town all the screaming that goes on you know yeah. what what does this mean how do we how do we control this you know and the answer is you probably can't i think so i think they played in spain a couple of times was that yes, right yes i looked this up right. yes it's uh, they played in madrid on the 2nd of july 1965 and played in Barcelona the day after that. Right, okay. They arrived in Madrid the day before on the 1st of July. Right. 65, which I think is where a lot of that footage from the newsreel at the start of the film comes from. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's them, yeah, uh, seemingly being photographed during their day in Spain. Yeah. and uh, Yeah, and I think they're being photographed maybe with sort of matadors and things like that. And just there's a little bit of that, yeah. There's, there's wearing them, the hats maybe. There's, things, there's yeah. definitely, um, there's a moment where you see John trying to or some like Spanish sherry um, from a uh, particular receptacle that's famous in Spain, right? right. And yeah, and and it's almost like a day of tourism, like but like press tourism, like it's a press event, right? They would obviously <laughs> had like press surrounding them, taking photos of them, doing all of this stuff, right? Yeah, as they experienced the country like a normal person, but obviously not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't necessarily walking around like putting on the matador hats. No, no exactly. Just yeah. happened to take checking their the map every now and again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it strikes me that when put into those terms, and again, I cannot stress enough that the film obviously doesn't explicitly call out these circumstances, but when put into those terms uh, with the the regime that the characters are currently experiencing and and this need for, or or the idea that they're on the cusp of a sort of systematic change, 
it seems almost perfect that this ties in with the song Strawberry Fields Forever out of any song. So it feels almost like the so the writer director David Truber has found in what is apparently a true story a through line that really makes a lot of thematic sense. Uh, and that feels like quite a significant coincidence at the time. But what a great way to sort of uh, mirror that change with this particular song choice. Yeah, that, you're right. It, it does feel like Strawberry Fields, uh, so Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane as uh, as a double A side. Uh, so that's the first thing that was recorded for the Sergeant Pepper sessions and then released as a double A side single uh while they were working on Sgt Pepper which was released in what May May 67 so yeah this maybe came out a couple of months before i forget exactly when but i think certainly other than the fact that they'd done tomorrow never knows at the end of revolver which obviously is a pretty is a pretty obvious symbol of where where this is all going but i would say it's it's the first sort of psychedelic song if you like or it feels like the first one of that era uh and it is ushering in uh change for sure i think it, it's it's sort of ironic in a way that strawberry fields and penny lane are both concerned with nostalgia even though they're sort of so kind of forward thinking musically um it, you know and it's it's the, the 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 strange irony of these uh sort of 25 year olds writing nostalgic songs about their childhood <laughs> yeah. which which were not very long ago it's like all, a you know. dagger to the heart for me like, <laughs> <laughs> what have you got to be nostalgic about yeah ridiculous <laughs> but I, and also in some ways it's it's quite a neat little follow-up to help as well I, I i often think this in terms of like help is often cited as well actually both songs both songs are often cited as signifiers for john suddenly starting to write about himself in a very introspective way yeah so, so to have to help start the film, and then for Strawberry Fields to be the focus of the film, feels like there's sort of a connection between the two that's being made quite explicit that that we probably don't think about very much these days. Yeah, I think for Strawberry Fields Forever, part of that introspection comes out of him being without the guys for the first time, right? So, um, and by all accounts, he was on set bored a lot of the time, yeah. and without having that release of having his uh, his you know mates bandmates around him uh to to sort of help alleviate that boredom yeah so that was the start of him suddenly writing very personally about himself yeah it does seem that way doesn't it so yeah. but yeah it's, i suppose it seems like he although you know he was already in the habit of spending a lot of time at home uh at kenwood n- not doing much uh so you know it's like he was sort of able to indulge his passion if you like for be- for being lazy you know <laughs> uh so yeah i think in uh, Almeria, so Cynthia was out there. Ringo came out to visit a little bit, I think, for a few days. Uh, Mal Evans as well, I think, maybe. Uh-huh. was there a little bit. But yeah, it seems like he had a lot of... Because, um, you know, f- film sets, all actors say one of the things about film sets is they are there is so much waiting around. Yeah. I think you very quickly get over the, the, the supposed glamour of it and realise like, just how much it is of just having to get to this place at 6am and then they've got nothing for you to do until until midday yeah. you have to be there anyway you know um and uh you know i'm sure john being the kind of guy he was might have got quite frustrated with that quite quickly uh it may have been that dick lester 
managed him in a certain way, I can imagine that he probably would have done. Yeah. And and sort of, you know, made sure he wasn't too bored. But yeah, he had a lot of time to uh, to be introspective uh, and to write that song, which apparently I think he wrote on a sort of old, a sort of classical guitar or a Spanish guitar mm. that he'd got, that he'd found quite cheap somewhere, I think. You mentioned earlier as well that there is uh, some visual imagery that sort of chimes with Strawberry Fields in that strawberries are everywhere in this yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think that the film kind of implies that that is how the song gets its title. <laughs> if, if, I'm, if, if I'm right in this, I don't think the Strawberry Fields part... So obviously Strawberry Fields forever gets its name primarily from Strawberry Field, which is the Salvation Army near where John lived when yep. he was a child. I, I think I'm right in thinking that at this point in time, you know, in the in the time frame that the film depicts, John hadn't actually brought in the Strawberry Field elements to that song yet. Yeah. He had the other lyrics in place, but not that part of it. Yeah, I think that's right. But the film does kind of imply, oh, look, there are Strawberry Fields everywhere. So obviously, that's, <laughs> you know, that's what the song is about. Kind yeah. of ignoring this this sort of well-known fact about what the song and where that title actually comes from. Yeah. So, I mean, we've spoken about this a few times where the, the, the films often have this tendency to just sort of imply the inspiration for lyrics. But usually it's much clumsier. It, it, usually it's this thing of like someone saying a thing in a sentence. Yes. You know, and the character going, hmm. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be someone coming up to John Lennon explicitly and saying oh have you seen the size of this strawberry field it looks like it goes on forever you know it'll be something really lame like that right exactly yeah and the the main claim if you like uh the film is kind of making is we, we should say by the way that this uh, the character of antonio the teacher is based on a real guy like uh, mm. uh, a guy called uh, juan carrion uh who was an english teacher who did this he uh traveled to to the set to meet john i think the i, I don't think the the bit about him picking up hitchhikers is true, but I think the rest of it is broadly pretty accurate. He did get to meet John. John did correct his the lyrics, the revolver lyrics that he'd written in his notebook. The character Antonio says that he says that the Beatles have a nasty habit of not printing their lyrics in their record sleeves, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a strange thing to say because no one ever printed lyrics in record no, sleeves. No. So famously, until, Sergeant Peppers yeah. was the first one that did that, right? Right. So the caption over the end credits says, after this uh, uh, this meeting, every Beatles album from this point onwards had the uh, lyrics on the, printed on the record sleeve, uh, which is not true. It's just factually incorrect. It's factually yes. incorrect. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sgt. Pepper was the first album ever to have the lyrics printed in the sleeve. So it is quite carefully phrased in a way that it is a correlation, not necessarily causation, i.e. Yeah. it's saying that yeah, this thing happened and then after it this thing happened <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> as exactly. opposed to this thing definitely caused this thing to happen because it's an, that's an interesting thing isn't it because I think that my understanding of the Sgt Pepper album and uh, one of the reasons why it's cited so often as the greatest album of all time is because when it was released it was you know it was a uh, deluxe version of the album before we even knew what deluxe versions yeah. of the album were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was, you know, it was rather than the usual 12 inch vinyl and sleeve, it was a full gatefold with lyrics yeah. and cut out characters of the yeah. Beatles uh, in, in uniform. Uh, and, and it felt like a little bit more like a, yeah, a bumper pack for the album that came with it. Yeah. I guess I've always held the view that this was just a canny piece of commercial thinking 
possibly even from the Beatles themselves, possibly even from Paul, purely because he's always seemed to be the most commercially minded yeah. one and, 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 and a person who wants to sort of push those boundaries in that way. It's interesting that this film directly implies, like you say, it's an implication, not, yeah. uh, not specifically said, that that is why the lyrics were printed in the album, as opposed to it being part of this sort of fuller rounded idea of how they should release a big event record. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and, and I think, so the, the idea, I suppose, is that uh the the influence john has had on on this guy has like changed his life but also like he's changed john's life in, mm. in a way so i mean i think uh, it's, it's worth saying that the the way the film depicts john as a character is you never there isn't really an actor playing john you see him uh from a distance at, at the end uh, antonio manages to get onto the set and he and he goes into john's caravan John opens the door and greets him. You see him in the distance in a way that it's identifiably him, uh, in a way that is is done really well. Like, yeah, very well. Yeah, you know, like, there's a very good long distance, uh, identifiably how I won the war era haircut for John. Yeah. It's the only way I can describe that. Yeah, no, you're <laughs> absolutely right. But like, but yeah. from the from the distance at which the camera is, is uh, shooting that moment and that character. Whoever that standing in is looks identical to how you imagine John to look in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And like he's holding a guitar, which helps as well. Always. <laughs> Actually, you probably didn't need to waste their time on their haircut. Yeah. The guitar no. does the trick. <laughs> um, and so the way it is done is that John is kind of this remote figure. And so while he's in the caravan, we stay with Juanjo and, um, and Belen and the, and, and the, scene you describe about the cut where she gets involved in cutting cutting the extra's hair that's what we get at that point while antonio is in the caravan with john so we never see antonio in the caravan with john which is a really really good creative decision i think yeah. i think having an actor playing john in that would be quite disappointing and i think also it it would remove the mystique because this is kind of this is kind of like the wizard of oz right you know it, it's like it's a sort of road movie in which they're sort of going off to meet this mystical character who can help them in some way. Yeah. And, um, and um, you know, of course, in, in The Wizard of Oz, the reveal that it's actually just some guy behind a curtain is, is for the characters, very unsatisfying, you know. And uh, I think it's so much better just to keep this guy as that just like a, a figure kind of... Like the mystique is maintained by not having an actor play him in a serious way. Uh, I, I completely agree, and I think that it's... Um it's a better creative choice to have that happen having recently read an interview with the writer director david truber which would have been published at the time of the film's release i do think it's a shame that one detail gets left out of the film as a result of that Uh, and in this interview truber says because this is based on the true story and the teacher does exist that notebook exists as well in terms you know uh, detailing the lyrics and lennon's then corrections that he made in that notebook and uh, and Trooper says in this interview that the funny thing is about that is that Lennon used different colours when correcting the lyrics. So for Yellow Submarine, he used a yellow pen, and if he wrote the word green, he would use a green pen. And you'd only have to look at the way he did those corrections to know that he was a really funny guy. Mm. And I just think that's a really cool detail to know about John. Like <laughs> that's something that you know, obviously never heard before. You probably would never know without the without the context of this story and this chance meeting. Mm. Um, but what a what just a, a funny like thing that 
John did. He couldn't even correct a notebook without doing it in a funny way, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a nice detail. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And, and, and of course, so like what Antonio goes away with is a tape recording of John. So I think what, what he's asked him for is like a message for his pupils. And I think maybe in the film... Uh, Antonio comes away with the impression that John has arranged to co- has agreed to come to his school and meet his pupils. Whether he's got that right or not, we're not completely sure. So he then he he later gives this as a gift to Juanjo, and it is a recording of John playing a, a demo of Strawberry Fields Forever. This is for your class. I hope they like it. Living is easy with eyes closed Misunderstanding all you see It's getting hard to be someone but it all works out It doesn't matter much to me uh, You know, so like Juanjo basically has like the, the greatest Beatles bootleg that there is, yeah. you know. I mean, that kid would be like a millionaire now, you know. Uh, in fact, I mean, we have to ask, I mean... Is this fictional bootleg of Strawberry Fields Forever Peter Jackson's next uh, project? (laughs) (laughs) It would be remiss of us not to bring up in this episode, like I do every episode, (laughs) Peter Jackson's future plans. Yeah, exactly. But that's done really well. So it's played uh, at at the end. Juan Ho's father turns up to take him home, uh, which he does sort of quite uncomplainingly and sort of Berlin comes along. Uh, with them for the ride. I think the implication is she's going to come to Madrid with them and uh, th- there's a, a job and a hairdresser she can she can get there. So Juanjo plays this in the car through the tape recorder. And... I, I, I will stop you and just quickly interrupt and say, when I heard this recording, my immediate thought was, you know, it, it, it's a brilliant John Lennon recording yeah. of him playing this uh, song on an acoustic guitar. This has to be one of the takes that are available um, on the anthology or the Sgt. Pepper's Deluxe album with all the many different versions of that song that are on those records. Yeah. Uh, so I immediately went to try to track down which version that was. It's not any of those, is it? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. But it's great. I mean, but it sounds so authentic. Yeah. Um, so what it is, it's uh, Neil Harrison, who was... The, the one of the founding members of the bootleg Beatles and was John in the bootleg Beatles. 
right up until I think about 2010, so a year or two before this film came out, was his uh, last appearance as, as John. And what he's doing really is sort of recreating the the acoustic demo version of Strawberry Fields that uh, that you hear on the anthology on anthology two I think it is yeah and and he does it, an excellent job it's really haunting and so this is um, played uh, they're sort of mainly driving in silence right at the end of the film other than a couple of times his his father says something like. Oh, so this is the music people listen to these days, is it? Or something yeah. like that, you know. Which again, I think is a is a nice point to end on because that's the that is again pointing to this sort of uh, oncoming change yeah. with, a, with a new generation yeah. coming up. You know, this is calling out that this is what young people listen to nowadays. Automatically brings to mind this idea of a a, a generational shift. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think um, there's a bit sort of slightly earlier on where sort of Antonio is talking about what the Beatles songs mean to him. And I think he's talking more broadly about what Beatles songs meant to that generation. And by the, I mean, we should like say as well that Antonio is a slightly, he's a slightly sort of imperfect spokesman for that generation because he's not quite of that generation. I'm going to say no, he's yeah. probably about 40 or something like that. Yeah, but I, one of the things that's so charming about that character is that he always seems to have that generation's best interests at, at heart. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there are moments in the film where he puts aside his own interests in order to focus on a younger generation. Yeah. So there is a great scene, actually, where um, uh, I'm going way off topic. Let, let's take a massive uh, detour just um, right. just to, to focus on this uh, point a little bit. But there's a, there's a great scene after after Antonio gets drunk yeah, and in in a sort of charming way, propositions Belen and says that um, that he would marry her yeah. if she wanted, and then goes back to his own room in a sort of gen- gentlemanly manner. Yeah, she then has a sexual encounter with yeah. Hunko. Yeah, and the next day, as as a viewer, I think you expect some kind of tension between the three because yeah. there's now a triangle, yeah. not triangle between you know, um, and you wonder how that's going to play out. Yeah. Up until what has at that point been quite a, a, an amicable relationship between the three of them. Yeah. What uh, Antonio and Juanco discover is that Belen has left. Yeah. They go and find her, and Juanco immediately goes to speak to her, and you, there's an expression on Antonio's face where he seems to understand that there that there is a deeper relationship happening between the two of them that yeah. he's not part of yeah yeah and as he's watching that scene play out where presumably hunko is trying to convince belen to rejoin them as a group a boy comes up and tries to sell some fruit to yeah. him yeah. and he immediately just changes uh his focus and talks to that boy in, in a sort of like sort of friendly manner and, yeah. and like he there are, there are lots of things like that where there is something that he is setting out to do in his own interests but actually he puts that all aside to engage with younger and it's just with, with, with the younger generation and i think it's indicative of him as a character that that is what he's interested in doing uh and, and that's one of the reasons why i think he's you know he, he comes across as just a lovely chap yeah <laughs> definitely yeah yeah i mean so you know let's say he's 40 and i suppose belen is, is probably about 16 or something like that uh she uh, she's pregnant by the way that's her uh and she was in a what seems like a sort of convent home for like pregnant pregnant girls they, they explain that they it's a place for her to stay until she gives birth 
and at that point she can decide whether or not they will then take on her child uh, for adoption. Yeah, that's right. So, but but there is it's also heavily implied early on in the film that that the women that go through that process end up often regretting that and ended up in quite sort of tragic circumstances separated from their child. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think uh, that uh, the scene you describe where Antonio sort of kind of propositions her, uh, so, I mean, given the age difference between them, that that feels like it, sh- it should be, like, incredibly inappropriate and change the way you think about him completely. Uh, because, you know, obviously... There, there could be a darkness to this uh, to this story, you know, like a, a a man picking up two teenage hitchhikers, you know. But that's also foreshadowed in the film because just before Belen meets Antonio, there is a guy who does yeah. exactly that, yeah, and, yeah. and sort of you know touches her in an inappropriate way yeah. and tries to keep her with him, uh, and he looks a similar age and build to Antonio. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But but actually, the the way that scene plays out, where he 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 doesn't really seem like he's seriously propositioning her. Uh, I think you know he just sort of says, I think he sort of says like you know, can I kiss you? And she says yes, like you know, in an uncomplicated way. And he just kind of kisses her on the cheek, and that's kind of it. And it's like there's an affection there, but it it didn't seem to me that it was even a sexual thing. No, sorry, yeah, and maybe I should have made that clear as well. So this, but but it it does feel like. The relationship between the characters is evolving in a way that even they themselves aren't sure of yet. Yeah. Um, and therefore, when we get to that morning after, I think there is there are a few questions that seem to be hanging in the balance there around how they all feel about each other and what that means going forward. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think ultimately that gets resolved from Antonio realizing that I, I think I think he seems to be comfortable with the fact that he can take a step back. And realise that actually, the you know the the future is in the hands of the younger generation. Almost, uh, you know, he's he's happy to, uh, or he accepts that actually some of these decisions going forward actually aren't his place to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and and like I say, I mean, the, potentially that like this is a story that could that could have a much darker tone, but doesn't. It chooses not to. So I mean, certainly as we say, like. He's quite, he's an obsessive fan, if you like, in that he has lots of sort of fixed opinions about about the Beatles and their importance. Uh, But he's sort of older, so he's sort of atypical of Beatles fans at that time. But he also appears to have this kind of slightly parasocial relationship with John, i.e. the idea that, so there's a bit where uh, he's talking about how when they played in Madrid, they're talking about how oh how are you going to get onto this film set? They'll have security, and he says, "Well, I mean, John wouldn't want all that security." You know, when they played in Madrid, he hated all the the fact that all the best seats were taken by the VIPs and things like that. So he kind of yeah. seems to almost have taken on John's ideology, or sort of imagine himself uh, to be uh, to know him more deeply than than he does. You know, and of course, you know that uh, tragically is how John's life ended by a person who imagined himself to have that relationship with John and felt kind of spurned when uh, John, who he'd never met, behaved in a way that he didn't want him to, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a gross simplification of, you know, of, of, you know, Mark Chapman and the reasons for him murdering John. But, you know, that that's kind of part of it. And so, yeah, I, I think um, this could be a film about a mad fan. It could be a film about a, a, a guy 
who sort of picks up hitchhikers on the, on the way and kills yeah, yeah. them, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it it's it, it's not. Just, I mean, obviously, like those those choices would have made it a completely different film. But what I mean is that there could be a lot more darkness in the character, and I think it's it's actually in the way that Javier Camara kind of plays him actually, um, because I think there are probably little character choices he could make in there. I mean, he could have played that scene where he propositions Baylane like very, very differently. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And made the tone completely different, you know. There were there were loads of great character moments like that that he is contributing to throughout the film. I really like there's a the scene early on where uh there, there's a sort of a recurring question that comes runs through the film where he is asking Belen and Hanko what they think his uh pupils call him as a nickname. Yeah. And I love, love this scene in the car where Belen is looking at him up and down and saying, baldy, like fatty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, and rather than take actual offence at that, like he really takes it on the chin and sort of he laughs with it. Like, and this is very yeah. early on in them establishing a relationship between the two of them. Yeah. It could have gone either way. And they were just, he, he just seems so amiable as yeah. a character that it's just impossible not to like it. Uh, and, and because you have such a likable character who who is the main person that is going on this quest to meet John Lennon, you really get behind that as a story. You really root for him no matter what happens along the way. Yeah. And and, and the film really is just a series of character moments. Yeah. You know, like there, there is very little in the way of, uh, you know, there, there is progress made in meeting John, but it kind of happens um, almost in the background to what is happening at the forefront around how these characters are getting to know each other and and sort of you know what happens to them on the way to 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 get into Almeria and when you know when they get there right right yeah maybe the real strawberry field is the the friends in the made journey along the yeah. way, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> but actually like you, you think about how road movies are usually structured and there tends to be more uh, there tends to be more obstacles put in the way, i.e., they're trying to get to this place in order to achieve this thing. So, like, was that that like teen comedy road trip, right? <laughs> yes. Um, or or, or um, uh, midnight run or something like that. Yeah. You know, where you know they, they've got to get from A to B, planes, trains, and automobiles. Got to get from A to B, and they and constantly all of these obstacles are put in their way, and they have to overcome them. This is this is not that really. In in that, so obstacles are in the way, uh, but not huge ones so really what happens is like when they first get to the film set there are some guards there who say no you can't come in Hmm. not unreasonably (laughs) and he doesn't seem to have he didn't particularly have much of a plan b there but they do manage to how do they do it so they go they go to the cinema where there's they go to a so they go to a preview screening of the film of how i won the war oh it's it's like the daily rushes isn't it yeah yeah but what they do to to sneak into that is go to see the film that is shown before they do that and hide in the cinema after the film ends so that they're still there when the crew come in yeah Uh, and it's a really nice scene actually and there's a really nice shot of them uh in the cinema and you can see uh john lennon in the movie uh, How I Won the War on the big screen yeah. in the background and it just it's really nicely framed and colorized and it just looks quite stunning yes yeah uh, when that when that happens yeah and and actually I, I think that also kind of feeds into that thing of him being this sort of uh a strange untouchable figure or yes. like you know or, or or just being ever so slightly out of reach all the time yeah and he is yeah uh, going back to your um thing about the obstacles you you're absolutely right because 
in any road trip movie, there would be things that happen along the way that they didn't have to overcome to continue their progress. And those things do happen. Yeah. But they they end up being quite easily resolved yeah, because it's not that film. Yeah, like, that, it's not so the point. So the it, car yeah. breaks down. Yeah. They end up just pushing it a bit until they get to a downhill <laughs> and they jump back in again and yeah. it starts again, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, when they get to the perimeter of the uh, film set, they don't have to try and sneak past or anything like that. They just find a way to meet a contact who, and get invited in. Yeah. You know? it, like it's all resolved very you know, in a sort of nice way. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, I'll go so far as to say that the film was written to deliberately subvert those kind of road trip tropes. Yeah, exactly. So it's much more, as you say, like this film is like completely full of character moments and that's because the the what seems like the deliberate absence of that usual road movie structure leaves room for... Uh, for for characterization instead yeah like the, the thing itself the satisfaction of the whole film is in that characterization and not in the um you know the various tropes of the of the road movie as you'd usually expect it yeah i think one of the great things again about strawberry fields forever being the the song that's really in question in the film is and also a focus on beatles lyrics generally is that we have this line living is easy with eyes closed being called out in the film itself and obviously is the film's title and actually it's a really nice moment where the very last thing you see in the film uh played mid credits is antonio back in his classroom with that line written on the chalkboard yeah as you know like well, how great is that like you get this real sense of like oh you've been teaching your kids beatles lyrics to help them read english and you've got like a preview of one that's not even out yet. Yeah, like, yeah. What a great like triumphant moment for him as a teacher to be like, now let's talk about this. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about that because <laughs> <laughs> because it's not uh, help. I need somebody, is it? Like living is easy, eyes closed. Like what 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 would the discussion be that Antonio would have with his kids around what that means to them? But I guess the question I wanted to ask you was, why do we think the film has lifted that particular lyric from the song? Uh, what do we think that means for the characters and how it sums up their overall journey? Well, I suppose there's a, a significance for the fact that they're they're all perhaps I don't know if they're all sort of running from something, but certainly they they all kind of need to face up to things in one way or another, or, or need to address something in their life, you know. So certainly the way Antonio seems to be teaching his uh, students is uh, like encouraging creativity in them, that kind of thing. As you said, when you were talking about how he was he was absolutely fine with like being cheeked about what's your nickname or mm-hmm. is it Baldy or Fatty? You, you can see he's the kind of guy, the kind of teacher who like quite likes it when children are slightly cheeky. Like he likes them to be spirited you yes. know, and thinks that's yeah. a valuable thing. And so, uh, you know, I imagine he is kind of teaching them that there is more to life than this, you know, keep keep your eyes open, always be open to change. Uh, and of course, it has particular relevance in, um, in, in a regime, an authoritarian regime like Franco's Spain. You know, you can spend your whole life in a, a regime like that where, where you kind of think, well, day to day, it's not that bad. You know, like, um, sure, there's certain things I can't do, hmm. um, but actually it could be worse, you know, and that's, you sort of get comfortable with that idea if you turn a blind eye to what's 
what it actually means. I yeah, guess. yeah, it's, it's, it's normalization, isn't it? Like yeah. you know, it, it, anything like that gets normalized to some degree after a while. You know, I shouldn't. You know, I imagine that like, if you if you live in North Korea, you don't live in a constant state of uh, thinking this 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 is terrible. This is this is an awful regime. What do I do to change this? Some people will, but the vast majority of people will just be getting on with their lives because that's what human beings do. Yeah, just adapt to their circumstances and deal with it. So yeah, the line "living is easy with eyes closed" kind of has significance in that regard. In in that maybe it's trying to say you you can just get on with your life and never question or challenge anything around you. But it's it's good every once in a while uh, to uh, to open up your eyes and see see what there is you can change around you. And I, and I think that that makes sense to me. I think where I, if I'm being honest, where I come unstuck a little bit in terms of interpreting that for the film is. Uh, how that implies to each of the three main characters yeah because where i think the film ends up is with hanko um getting uh, picked up by his father and going home with him belen i think the implication like you said earlier is that she will move on to madrid um accept her pregnancy have her child and try to make that work yeah and then you have this moment of sheer rebellion from Antonio, uh, who gets his revenge on the bully that cut Franco's hair earlier, yeah. and drives around his strawberry patch, uh, ruining his crop <laughs> whilst shouting help. Um, <laughs> which is just a glorious, glorious scene because uh, it's played quite clumsily as well, in a way yes. that you expect, like um, a man like Antonio, his particular stature, and, and you know his. Uh, how he sort of uh, squares up to a giant bully, um, <laughs> how he would do. A little bit of cowardice involved, a little bit of um, like gumption, uh, all of that. But but those are three different, very different endings for each of those three characters. And I think where I, again, where I become unstuck is if I'm being generous, I would say that all three are confronting their own particular problems in different ways. Yeah. And that just confronting them in any way at all is representative of the kind of change that this film is suggesting needs to happen and that then chimes with the title if i was being less generous i would say those are three very different and potentially opposing ways to deal with change and i'm not sure what the film is trying to say about any of them no i suppose i suppose you know it's something like this it's bound to sort of paint with a slightly broad brush i suppose mm. but certainly they're all kind of ha- having to open their eyes in some way i suppose yes or, or, or be encouraged to do so in order to to face up to whatever challenges or, or defects they think they have um and i mean to be honest like a- antonio probably the least of them you know he does seem i mean that scene with uh squaring up to the bully is actually yeah not even played as any act of great catharsis certainly not played as any act of great heroism or like no. oh this is a guy who is like used to be timid and now he isn't you know he says in it you know like you can't live in fear people in spain live in fear a lot uh and you and you can't do that but i, I don't get the impression that antonio is like forever changed and he goes away and he is now the he like i, I get the impression he was always a guy who would square up to a bully you know, yeah. and, and and this is just an example of it, as opposed to um, oh, he he is he is changed by his experience, and now he has the courage to face up to this bully. I don't think it's that. Um, so actually, I mean, a- Antonio, in a way, seems to be the one who has changed the least, if you ask me. Yes, I agree, but he he's also the one that's providing the lesson in some ways, isn't he? I think that's the that's his 
uh, role in this film is is what he imparts to his uh, his pupils explicitly within the lyrics of Beatles songs. Yeah. He's kind of imparting also to Belen and Wanko in, in this this idea of encouraging them to affect that change for themselves. Yeah. Um, and 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 there is a brilliant quote that um he you know in, in his argument for why Beatles songs are so important he does talk about them being life-changing songs yeah and and I think that's sort of like a nice neat sort of summary of of, of how strongly his character feels about those songs and why those songs are important to him and therefore to us as an audience watching this film yeah 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 he, yeah he does because that that quote is great you know and he says he's what does he say he says uh to know that someone before you felt what you're feeling at this moment, uh, you're no longer alone. We all need to shout help sometimes. And, that, and, and that's a lovely thing, this idea that perhaps didn't have that much currency at the time, that uh, the pop music and the lyrics to pop music uh, can sort of make you feel less isolated, can like connect you to the world, you know. Again, like he doesn't seem to... You see a scene of him in his flat, like sort of cooking a, uh, cooking a meal for one in his... Uh, saucepan, like he can't get the stove to work, so he like turns the iron Love over that. and like that's brilliant and, and cooks cooks the, puts the pan on top of the iron. But he doesn't seem like a lonely or unsatisfied guy in those scenes because you you could play yes. that as like oh this guy lives in kind of squalor and he's given up on himself a bit and I don't get that impression. No, not at no. all. No, he's very happy. I think he he seems to have found his place yeah. in in imparting the the teachings of the Beatles yeah. through his lessons. Yeah. I think it's a nice place to be in. He's, he's content with that. And yeah. I think that's what you get. It turns him into sort of a fun, charming, likable character. Yeah. Um, but I think that's uh, it's quite a nice guy to, to hang around with for two hours in this film, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. But we'd love to know what anybody else thinks. Have you just watched this film? And do you agree with us? Uh, if you've watched this film, uh, do you need to know that we have felt like you are feeling now? <laughs> uh, you are not alone. If you need to shout help to anyone in particular, you can reach us on all the usual social media platforms at Beatles Films Pod. Also, feel free to leave us a review or a five-star rating on your usual podcast listening platform of choice. Otherwise, we'll see you again for another episode next week. And until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. 
You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. 